Romans 11 shows us how God had a people elected through grace conditionally throughout all ages. These people stood out as eminently spiritual and bold as a lion against all rebellion and idolatry. Even though men choose to disrupt God's original absolute plan, God overrides it all and still brings his will to pass. God's sovereign rule through successive generations is not compromised or usurped despite the wicked hearts of men. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre and the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded, and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You'll find us in person every Sunday between 4 and 5 p.m. and every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square where we have public street meetings out in the open air. Uh, we'd love to see you there. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. That number also receives texts. If you are wanting to worship with other believers, then please also contact us and we are worshiping in homes at this particular time. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. This last episode that we are doing, uh, I'd say in the series, this last episode uh, having to deal with unconditional election will be wrapped up here with Romans chapter 11. We've done Romans 9, 10, and 11. We've done quite a bit of episodes actually on the topic of unconditional election as taught by um, the, well, Calvin himself and um, Calvinists of many different generations. And so, and I know there may be subtle nuances here or there, but we've tried to be fair um, as to what those things are and quoting from certain ones and the Westminster Confession and all those things. And then um, just coming through some logical conclusions based off of what they say their beliefs are and then trying to balance that out with the scripture. And that's what I hope we've been doing um, through all of this. If there has been any time where something has been unclear uh, and you need to have something cleared up or maybe it's something's been misrepresented, kindly inform us, tell us, and hopefully we can try and and go through with this in a, in a way that's good and right. I do want to mention, though I may be saying some strong words against Calvinism, because I do believe that Calvinism in its doctrine and teaching so far as soteriology is concerned, uh, the study of sin, salvation, man, God, and, and, and all how that's wrapped together, I want you to understand that I do have Calvinist friends and I love them, and I'm not trying to make a war inside the body of Christ, but rather contending for the faith that I believe the Bible to be teaching and Calvinism being one of those errors that has crept in that is actually causing damage uh, to the, the church of Jesus Christ and even to the world out there um, because of its false caricature of who God is and then the way salvation takes place and removing a, um, at large a personal responsibility, though I understand there are arguments that are said that this doesn't remove personal responsibility. Just wanted to start with that. I don't want it to be 
looking like we're just coming against Calvinistic people, but rather the doctrine itself. I do love a lot of Calvinist brothers. Uh, I'm very thankful for Apologia Studios, a lot of things that they do. I've been blessed by. Uh, there's been others that are part of the Doug Wilson um, tribe, so to speak. Those guys, there's a lot of good that I've had from that. And they they do so much better at engaging culture and warfare um, in our culture instead of just standing aloof. And I appreciate what they do and what they've built. Uh, and it's inspired me. This, however, is just the doctrinal position that I believe is very um, erroneous. So without further ado, let's jump right into Romans chapter 11. As we conclude these many different um, series or many different messages on unconditional election, Paul says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now remember the last of chapter 10, Israel was said to be a disobedient and rebellious people that Isaiah was prophesying about. So he's saying, I say then, in light of all this argument, Romans 9, 10, that we had just gone through, has God cast away his people? Because it sounds like that's what you were saying. And he says, God forbid. And this is where, obviously, he's referring, I think, clearly to the nation of Israel or the descendants of Israel, the physical descendants in this particular verse. But this is also where the beginning of the doctrine of the remnant comes into uh, full view. Now, let's just move on. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye or know you not what the scripture saith of Elias, Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, and we'll stop for a minute. It says that uh, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. He foreknows that in the future, Israel will survive the dark ages of its history and ultimately join the fullness of the Gentiles gathered into Christ. I got that from Whedon's commentary. I think that sums up this idea of foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is not responsibility for the actions. Foreknowledge is simply the knowledge of it because God is God and knows all things. And he's saying because of his foreknowledge, God has not cast away his people because he knows that the Gentiles, ultimately, which we're going to see in this chapter, are going to provoke them to jealousy and they will turn to the to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he said, um, do, don't you remember that uh, Elijah was praying and making intercession to God in verse three, Lord, they have killed my prophets. They have killed thy prophets rather and dig down thine altars and I'm left alone and they seek my life. So Elijah was concerned about Israel's present rebellion during his day. He's saying, this is what they're doing. They're killing prophets. They're digging down your altars. And I'm left here by myself, the only one that loves God. And he just thought that he was the only true follower amongst all the people of Israel. And he was persecuted by the nationally elect people, Israel, though they themselves were far from God at heart. But what saith the answer of God to him? So after Elijah prays this to God, what does God say back? He says to Elijah, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So reserving here, uh, sometimes people would try and make this a necessity that God's saying that he's reserved to himself 7,000 men that God has somehow uh, in some kind of automaton way uh, chosen arbitrarily that these 7,000 men wouldn't bow the knee to Baal. It's simply, it, it doesn't have to go that far. It simply is just saying that out of all of Israel, God has this group of people over here that he's got his eye on. He knows who they are and they are separate from the rest of the, the group of Israel. He's reserved these people to himself for what? It, it seems to be in Babylonian captivity, obviously, that there was a 
a remnant of people that he then rebuilt um, the Israelite people with, trying to to almost like with Noah after the flood. Here's this people now that Israel will be rebuilt and they will be more a godly people. Uh, sadly, that's not the story, but you understand the point here. So this is an answer to the question in verse one. Remember, God said, has God cast away his people? But God says, I've reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So God has not completely cast off an ethnic group simply because of their ethnicity, but he cast them off because of their unbelief. This is the conditional aspect of salvation, the conditional aspect of God's favor and pleasure with people. There were some amongst the ethnicity of the Hebrews, God tells us, that did believe savingly that did know the true vital reality with God. Now, they they believed in Christ in the sense that it was a dark understanding. They were believing in this one who was to come, though they didn't know who he was. So they were believing savingly upon the Messiah who was going to come and deliver them. They had kind of a dark understanding, but with that, a faith towards what God's revelation was rather than just resting in the law. And he said, I've reserved, I've left for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal. And Baal was the God of Jezebel. And Jezebel was the wife of Ahaz and Ahaz was the king of Israel. So Baal was the God of the state at that time. And he's saying out of all the people that just kind of fell in line with this wicked king and his wicked wife, there were 7,000 that did not bow their knee to the state God. And Lord help us to have those same kind of people in our day. And there are some, and I'm thankful uh, verse five, even so then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So he's saying, just like it was back then amongst the people of Israel, there were a group of those that did believe God. He's saying still in the nation of Israel, the people who have that bloodline descendancy from, from Israel, those people inside of it, there is a election there. There is a remnant there. And it says that there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So um, election of grace is something that we need to uh, unpack a little bit. Uh, election of grace is simply the selection of those who have the divine influence upon the heart, those that God foreknew were going to choose this way, those that are saved by the grace of God. And so here we have something we need to pay attention to, because if we just say election of grace and we move this in with the doctrines of grace and then swallow up all of it into what the Calvinistic terms and definitions are, then we can move along without really thinking through this. However, the juxtaposition here through Romans 9, 10, and 11 is that the nationally elect Jews think that they will be saved by their keeping of the law compared to the other Jews, which were the remnant that savingly believe on Jesus Christ. Or in the Old Testament case, uh, those Jews that knew God and knew that sacrifice wasn't going to cut it, but a humble and a contrite heart. The election of grace is simply the choosing because of grace, the choosing through grace, not through the law. And so, and we'll get into this in the next verse. And he says, and if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. So the remnant that is here spoken of is not solely of the national elect or rather because of that, the remnant are those that were of the nationally elect that believed. So that was, a, that was an elect people inside of an elect people that believed. So we have to ask a few questions as we think about the election of grace and what he's talking about with grace uh, against works and how all that comes together. And I want to do it this way. Is grace directly just coming from God? 
does God just arbitrarily just throw grace down at some that he chooses and those are the ones that then end up believing and they're savingly uh, believing on God and then end up being the elect of God that end up going to heaven? Is that how all this works? Well, the scripture says in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved. So it is grace is the saving power inside of any human heart. For by grace are you saved, how? Through faith. And that, uh, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Then you might say, okay, well, it's grace through faith, but God gives us the faith, right? So God's responsible for the faith that we have, and he sovereignly bestows that without anything to do with us. Let's move to Romans, in the book of Romans, which helps us to see the whole picture and argument and context. If you go back to Romans 3.22, he says, even the righteousness of, of, of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, and here's what the faith of Jesus Christ is, unto all and upon all them that believe them that believe. So this belief in, in God is not a work in and of itself. It is a, a heart's choice to believe the testimony of God through Jesus Christ rather than to live in unbelief and go their own way or trust in their own righteousness. They're believing in Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans three twenty four and then 27 through 28. He says, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, skipping to 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works. Nay, but by the law of faith. Not by law, not by works, but by faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Moving down to verse 30 and 31 of chapter 3, Romans. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish it. Then are the works here described in the 20th verse of Romans chapter 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, those are the works he has in mind, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we go back to that verse and it says, if by grace, then it, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Faith, according to Romans, is not a work. Faith is juxtaposed to works, saying you have people over here that are trusting in their works, but he's saying the righteousness of God is received through faith, which is not a work, according to Paul in Romans. So the grace that we get is through faith. And our faith is that we believe on the testimony of Jesus Christ, of, of the claims of God in our own soul and heart, of the eternal destiny that we are facing if we do not repent, and that Jesus is the only way for you and I to be saved from an awful hell that is here before us. Now we're at verse seven. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So fleshly Israel is not saved by ceremonial and rabbinic observation or by ethnicity and national election. That's Paul's argument. Those that did not receive Christ were blinded, we're told. So eternal election is here conditional. We go back to Romans 3.22, which is by the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. That's conditional. Uh, Romans 9.30, what shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? So faith is the, the door into righteousness, is the means by righteousness uh, in God's sight in the new covenant. 
Romans 9.33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So the election is the election by grace through the faith of those who believe on Jesus Christ. So the easy implication here is that the inverse of this Romans 9.33 is also true. Whosoever believeth not on him shall be ashamed. Um, and so we see here that there is individual conditional election that is being taught in the book of Romans. And that is what he's talking about in his argument here in verse 7 of Romans 11. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, that is the national Israelites, the, the, the people from flesh and blood, uh, given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. So God has allowed the large share of the Jews to continue in blindness until the fullness of the Gentiles. And David, verse 9, saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. So there are always true followers of God and pretenders. And this passage of David is speaking about the obstinate and persistent rebellious Jews. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? So it's no it's no question that the Jews stumbled. That's a given. But now we're trying to figure out where does where do they fit in all this new redemptive plan that God has revealed to us? Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So the question is, is the fall of the Jews in vain? The fall of the Jews is the salvation of the world, Paul says. Jealousy is to be upset that someone has what truly belongs to you. Envy is to be upset that someone has something that's not rightfully yours, but you want it anyways. This salvation belonged to the Jews, but they rejected it. And now they're provoked to jealousy because the Gentiles get it through faith. <clears throat> Verse 12. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness for I speak to you Gentiles, verse 13, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Notice that it says save some of them, not all. So the Jews are being provoked to conditional election. They are being provoked to repent and believe on the name of their Messiah, Jesus Christ. God's not going to do that for them. God is trying to provoke them to jealousy so they make that choice themselves. Are they going to save themselves? No. But do they have to repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ out of their own volition? Yes. But I know people say, we're dead in trespasses and sins, so how can we make any choice? If you take every biblical illustration and bring it to its fullest expression or whatever, you go, you go beyond the illustrative point. And the illustrative point of being dead in trespasses and sin is that your spirit is dead. You are not alive spiritually and you need to be resurrected. That does not mean, though, that we have zero choices to be able to make now. And uh, that's for another thing. But for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the or receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, speaking to the Gentiles, wert graft in among them, and with him partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Olive tree. So he's got a, a big, long argument going on here. But the unbelieving, nationally elect Jews were broken off branches, according to Paul here. The Gentiles are the graft in branches. The spiritual election of God has always been through, through repentance and faith. The other Jews failed in bringing the gospel to the world. 
uh, and but God didn't fail and still brought the gospel to the world. This is what is being taught us here. He went over the top of the Jews because the rebellion went to the Gentiles, and this is his plan. But he says to the Gentiles in verse 18, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. So do not reject the Jews as cast off. And now the church takes its place full stop. The church is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption for all mankind as the Jews failed to bring about God's truth willingly uh, through the, the Messiah that had come. God's gone to the Gentiles. Gentiles are to be thankful, however, now. They are not that they are now invited into the family of God. Thou wilt uh, say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. This is a Gentile that would say this. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Here's the conditional election again. Be not high-minded, but fear. Why would they have to fear? This seems to show a conditional election. Through the Jews' persistent rebellion, they were broken off from the covenant. They could be brought back into repentance and faith if they so choose. Verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, that is the Jews, take heed lest he also spare not thee. What is he talking about? I thought that it's irresistible grace and we're going to make it all the way through. We haven't got there yet, but this is the doctrinal thing. Israel was cast off because of their personal unbelief, but not because God was done with them after the new covenant. Uh, anyone can be cast off because of unbelief, according to these verses. This clearly speaks against the idea of perseverance of saints or the more modern chaffy version of it, eternal security. Behold, verse 22, therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, if you don't continue, thou also shalt be cut off. So he's saying to the Gentiles, you will be cut off from this, this new covenant, just like the Jews were from their rejection of God and they're cut off from the new covenant privileges, so will you if you turn around and go in the way of unbelief. This lead, lends us to believe that one can fall away from the faith depending on if they keep their faith in Christ and walk with him or not. And it's not just a mental ascent. Their faith in Christ results in actual holiness and obedience to God. So if they believe, excuse me, Verse 23, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, speaking about the Jews, they shall be grafted in for God's able to graft them in again. So if they believe on Christ, then they will be back in the saving favor of God again. They will be under his covenant privileges again, because right now they are not. This is a huge apologetic argument for a conditional election, not Calvinistic unconditional election. It's very clear when you look at the full context from Romans 9 through 11, uh, verse 24. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? It's easier, according to this verse, for a Jew to be brought to their own Messiah than for a stranger Gentile. However, that is God's plan at this moment because the Jews rejected. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. He's speaking to the Gentiles here that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So the mystery is that something that cannot be understood unless God reveals it. And in this case, he has. Your salvation is used of God to bring the Israelites back to himself. God is far from rejecting the, the Jews as absolute reprobates. So until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, we have to think about this. What does the word until mean? The Greek phrase used here uh, is akrihos, and I may not be pronouncing that well. But this phrase means even unto a point. Thayer says it is used of things that actually occurred 
and up to the beginning of which something continued. It's a point of reference and not a point of cessation, like it, we got there and now it stopped. Uh, we read in various different places in Acts 7, 17 through 18, uh, it says that um, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. The word until in verse 18 is that same Greek word or phrase. Does this mean then that when the king that didn't know Joseph arose in Egypt and took the throne that the people didn't multiply anymore? No, of course not. It's a point of reference. And I can prove to you that until here does not mean termination. And if you look at Exodus um, with me, Joseph died and all his brethren and all that generation, but the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceeding, exceedingly mighty so that the land uh, was filled with them. That's Exodus 1, 6 through 7. So that is what uh, Stephen said in Acts 7. And let's see what happened when the new king took over. Stephen says, now a new king arose in Egypt who did not know Moses. So if, and if the word until means termination or cessation, then the children of Israel would no longer increase or multiply. But the new king did in fact try to stop their growth. But notice what happened in Exodus 1, 12. The more that they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The king commanded the midwives to kill the male Israelites at birth, but they wouldn't do so. And so the children of Israel continued to multiply. God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Why did I go through all of that? Because I don't know when the exact state of this fullness of the Gentiles come in, but it's not going to get to this place and say like, now we've reached all this and now it's stopped. It, there is a specific point of reference and I don't know what that is, but I just want to help you understand that. Verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved as it, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so in this way, this is how Israel will be saved. And all here doesn't mean that every uh, man, woman, and child, David became king in Hebron. It says that all Israel came. Did all Israel come? Because Hebron wouldn't have fit all the population of Israel. And in the next chapter there, in, uh, about after this speaking about David, it says all the 10 tribes came. Uh, so all means a representative of every tribe. And in another place, it says that all Israel stoned people in 1 Kings 12, 18. Then King Roboam sent at Adoram, who was over the... Le uh, over the levy and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Uh, is that that every Israelite threw stones at them? No, uh, this all means a good majority, but it's not literally all here. Uh, verse 27, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So here's how they'll be saved. When I shall take away their sins is referencing Isaiah 59, 20. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. So this covenant is only good to them as they receive the Messiah. Uh, verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So the gospel here means the salvation through Jesus Christ. So the nation of Israel at large was an enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's touching the election. And this election is the election of a specific purpose, not an individual eternal election. He's saying, but for the election where God chose a nation of Israel for a specific purpose, they're beloved for the father's sake. And the fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because God made covenant promises with these men. And he said, he's going to keep them. Verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. 
Those gifts were land and posterity, and the calling is the bearer of the truth of God to the nations and their call to Christ themselves. So God still has some kind of redemptive plan through them, and he had promises that he made them over uh, the land and his posterity. Um, those are without repentance, according to this uh, scripture verse. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that is the national Israel, that he might have mercy upon all. Notice that it says God has concluded. He didn't make them live in unbelief. He just says, this is the case. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Wisdom in knowing how to properly deal with the nation of Israel to bring them to repentance. And then God's knowledge displayed as it regards his, his foreknowledge to make this plan take place, knowing they were going to rebel and reject and moving everything around in such a way so as to still make his ends come to pass. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath first, for, first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. This is the true meaning of Romans 9 through 11. Not a Calvinistic unconditional election, but a conditional election and a redemptive plan over those that had rejected God and he will provoke them to jealousy through the ones that have repented and believed, the Gentiles that have repented and believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 and get in contact with us or gods.resistance at gmail.com and to try and start up a conversation. Maybe I can meet with you in person. Maybe we can just talk over the phone, whatever it needs to be so that you walk with God and that you know that you walk with God in this present day. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.